Greetings, you've landed at the VUC, IP Communications and VoIP Community. We would like to thank Simwood.com for their support. Simwood can turn you as a developer into a telco. Our hosted PBX is from OnSIP.com, and you can go to GetOnSIP.com for a URL people can click to call you. We've been privileged over the last five years to be using the best conference bridge on the planet. Yes, I'm talking about ZipDX.com, full-color, full-featured, full-HD conference bridge. Our website, VUC.me on the web, is hosted by Bluehost.com. And our worldwide local rate dial-ins are from Voxbone.com. Okay, welcome to VUC 531. Can you believe it? 500 episodes. And this is the 531st. How about that? Uh, we've got a great panel with us today, as always. However, uh, Mr. James Bodie, who's a regular, uh, he does appear to be moving and having video right now. Uh, I'm trying to get my own video on. Here we go. Uh, and um, we also, Rafe Blanford, who James invited. Rafe, great to have you with us. I want to just mention a couple of things quickly uh, from friends. Of course, Andy Smith's with us and Michael Graves. And who knows who might drop in. Wanted to tell you quickly that, uh, remind you that there's a Tad Hack in London, 11th and 12th of April. And of course, there's a Tad Hack in mid-June. I don't have that in front of me, but it's far enough away where we can uh, look for that. And uh, I and several other regulars, in fact, most of the regulars at Camelio World, which is May 29th, 27th to 29th in Berlin. So come to Berlin if you're anywhere near it or if you feel like, you know, being a second honeymoon, bring your wife to Berlin. It's a one great place to visit. And then uh, come and say hello at Camelio World. Okay, so back to the topic at hand. No, no, James is now fixed uh, image, so we will... Uh, uh, we'll throw it over to Rafe right away, and um, ah, no, he's not fixed image, but anyway, James, you chime. Rafe, um, you were at Mobile World Con Congress. I keep saying conference; it's Congress. Um, so we're, you know, we're, we're anxious to hear your impressions, and I don't want to interview you. I'd just like to have you what you would like to say, and we'll uh, we'll get the discussion going. Okay. Sure. Well, I think uh, the the first thing about to say about it is it was bigger than 90,000 people. So it's quite difficult to talk about it in a in a summary way because there are lots of different areas. I always go there to try and understand what's going on in the industry. I tend to be more focused on the on the consumer side and some of the device stuff, but also um, advertising and some of the media services. Uh, what's this time round was we were seeing a, a kind of... It, it was one of those uh, leap years where you... Um, see a lot of the maturing technologies, we've had cars, we've had health, we've had lots of sectors come into Mobile World Congress in the last few years, and they're starting to mature and actually produce products. And I think my, my out of MWC was actually one of partnership. Um, for an organization like the GSMA, it's always been based around operators, and it's been quite um, a siloed, some elements, but increasingly we're seeing partnerships uh, happen in order to deliver products and services in a more vertically integrated manner. And you can look at some of the big announcements, for example, HTC with Under Armour and their wearable device, but the more interesting one is probably Valve and the HTC Vive, which is a VR headset. VR was one of the big themes at the A lot of uh, gray men in suits wearing VR um, <laughs> headsets, which uh, always makes for an entertaining picture, but actually starting to get into the sectors other than and uh, 
for example, Nokia's here team had a, a demo showing off their their data, and then Ericsson had a pretty amazing demo using uh, LTE's Rift headset to actually be able to drive uh, a dumper truck or rather a digger on the other side of the world live. It's not often you see that kind of demo actually for the, that physical tele. Very impressive indeed. Something that's been promised for a while, and um, of course, it's always the the big handsets announcement. Uh, Samsung stepping up with something like the S6, but uh, going to pick out a, a handset theme. It would be more about the mid-tier devices, and I think there's a, a shifting mix in the portfolio of devices. We're seeing a lot more in the mid-tier, and I think that in sales in 2015, which actually means we'll see more people with more capable devices. And we've already had the smartphone majority reach, but now we're actually getting more capable, which obviously has implications for the software and services running on top of them. A good example of that of the uh, Sony Xperia M4, but also what Microsoft was doing with their Lumias, particularly the uh, Lumia 640 XL stood out, including particularly because it's for uh, about £180 or $200, you're a very good capable smartphone. And they're also bundling Office 365 with it. So I uh, thought that was a strong offering. But uh, I'm happy to talk about any particular element. As I say, it's a very... Uh, yeah, there's a couple of questions. Uh, we were talking earlier uh, before we started this, and I heard about two things. One was that the one of the sets like eleven hundred dollars or a thousand pounds or something. What was there was an expensive device? Is that the one you just mentioned, the Galaxy? Yeah, so that's that's the Samsung S six, which actually comes in three different variants. How big an internal capacity you have, uh, and then there's actually two different types of the S six. One, the Edge Edition, which has curved screen down both sides, and one kind of a more version and the high-end s6 edge with 128 gigabytes of ram yes comes in at about eleven hundred dollars it's actually very similar i think to the iphone 6 6 plus pricing model if you know those it can go up to you know that that mark and so samsung was very much copying the apple model in that respect on pricing and the other thing i mentioned uh, on the other was and i don't know that this was at the conference the congress by the way uh, but i had heard that there's the motorola has this Motorola E? Did, was that mentioned even there, or maybe maybe this is separate and doesn't? Well, uh, it was on display at the conference. I'm not sure exactly when it was announced, but um, it's kind of their second generation of their very affordable handset. Um, you know, going well under the sort of the hundred. As I say, this is kind of chimes in with the mid-tier theme I was talking about. Um, we've seen a lot of cheap Android devices in the last three or four years, but frankly, they've actually not been. Uh, what we've seen with devices like the Motorola G and then particularly the Motorola E, um, similar things from uh, from Nokia and Microsoft with the, kind of the Lumia 4, 4 for example, is very capable low-end devices which still have the, the kind of the full feature specification. And so effectively you can buy five or six of those for the price of one flagship. And for enterprise smartphone usage, that becomes very interesting. And obviously, I mean... Uh, just to complete the phrase, obviously uh, the rest of the world is saturated in the market. I mean, you need the the very very inexpensive side. I'm sorry, that was James. Who was uh, trying to speak there? Heard something. Um, okay, the that was the most expensive and one of the least expensive. Um, I kind of lost my train because I thought that I was talking. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I just wanted to ask. Uh, I mean, on the, while we're on the subject of, of handsets, I mean, there are. There's Jolla, there's Firefox, uh, the Ubuntu phones now. Did you uh, did you get to, a chance to look at any of those, and, and what were your thoughts? I did. Uh, I, I was talking to Mark Dillon, who's the CEO of, about the phone, and obviously it's actually still their old phone that they're selling, but they were showing off their new tablet device. 
but it's pretty clear they've got another phone coming and Ubuntu where the, the I think it's the BQ phone which is the low end one but also the kind of the the Maizu phone from China which I think attracting a lot of interest and certainly was generating media attention um, be the Tizen phones and the Firefox phones all of them though are relatively small sales numbers and because of the importance of ecosystems both apps and services it's difficult to see platforms break into the the, the, the sort of the top three of Android, iOS, and Windows Phone. Nonetheless, there's definitely a place for them, and I think it's quite possible to effectively run a boutique business um, selling those phones and for special interests or for special type of devices, maybe industry or enterprise applications, or just because there's a, a cost, uh, particularly something like the Firefox phones, getting down to as cheap as sort of twenty dollars or so. Um, I think we'll continue to see that. And to take a current example from the market, actually very much like that. They're not going anywhere. They're not going to sell vast numbers of phones. They announced uh, a new device, uh, kind of a full touchscreen device at the show and kind of showed off an, another curved slide. Um, so I actually think that, that we're going to stop talking about what will become a fourth platform. Will it break in? There will just be a whole range of these, if I can call them boutique or small-scale platform use types. And that might be enterprises as, as with BlackBerry or something like Yola, which very much appeals to the open source community and can be very strong in somewhere like China because of the uh, restrict, um, you know, Google services on Android in that market. So they, they are going to be market specific. I don't really see them emerging as another global platform though. In, uh, in, in terms of capability similar to the, uh, the other um, mid-range phones? Uh, in, in terms of the kind of the core capability on the platforms themselves, for the most part it's going to be uh, some gaps and they do take a while to mature the, these platforms but Ubuntu was looking pretty fully featured uh, but they often take a, a kind of a different philosophy the sort of the more web-led web solution but so much of the value now uh, in those kind of especially the smartphone ecosystem actually sits in the apps and the services actually I think they're becoming increasingly irrelevant um, for consumers and enterprise you know when you're buying a phone you, you don't really think about the platform you think about what you want to do with it and that, that's something that's happened over the last you know, day. We're just seeing that trend more and more. And so that, that very fact actually allows these uh, additional platforms to exist because they can create the necessary service or ecosystem in a way, not the global sense, to actually remain viable. Um, but for the consumer market, no, they aren't as capable because they don't have the same array of apps and services. So it, is, it is tricky to see them scaling in any way, but it's such a huge market, you can actually still create a pretty viable business even with a relatively specialised product. I'm just comment or two here since he, he spent most of the MWC on the Ubuntu stand. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> well, he does, but he's blocked. Uh, Michael, uh, Michael wants to ask something, and if you, Michael, if you could uh, mention what Jim said on IRC, we'll do it all in one block. Sure. Um, uh, Jim is mentioning uh, BlackBerry targeting niche markets, which uh, you know, good luck. I'm sure they'll achieve some success. Um, was there was there any BlackBerry presence there to mention? And also, the other thing I'm curious about is whether or not uh, Google's project got any mind share at the show. Okay, so uh, BlackBerry did hold a, a press event there, but they didn't have uh, a stand. So as I say, they announced the new phone, which um, I'm sorry has uh, slipped my mind in the kind of the post-MWC. BB10? That's right. Uh, and, and they did show off kind of or preview another device. The most interesting thing that BlackBerry announced was actually having Samsung on the stage at their press conference 
and they're going to integrate their software and services into the Knox Enterprise platform. That, to me, is a pretty big deal, having a Samsung executive at a BlackBerry press conference. I think that's quite telling for the future uh, of BlackBerry. Uh, and what was the second question? Forgive me. Uh, oh, uh, ARIA. Uh, uh, yes. ARIA. Yeah, it, I think it's still early days for ARIA, but there were a couple of the modules on display. There was uh, it's essentially a French company, although with Chinese managers, we're showing off about 100 different ARIA modules for everything from a kind of headphone jack to uh, uh, NFC to a to a credit card type chip. They say they're going to take about 10 to 20 to the market there in the prototype stage at the moment. Uh, Toshiba were also showing off a few of the camera modules. They've got about three or four different uh, modules. So there's a bit of buzz about it in the background, but I think Google was really holding off on the major announcement. It was really happenstance that we, we heard about them where partners who are creating these modules were very little attention and so were therefore showing them off. Uh, I think the big reveal will be later in the year, probably June or July. Okay, so what... A, uh, no, Michael, you, were, were you done? Uh, well, if Go. I had another question, I would ask about um, sort of scuttlebutt on the floor about Google's move into being an MBNO. And, and the, more recently, there was, I think it was just this morning, saying that it, it could be like device-specific and and like right down to being the, only the latest Nexus phone. Any truth to that? Yeah. Um, uh, your guess is as good as mine. I mean, yes, there was a lot of ch chat about it. I mean, anytime Google makes a move like that, everyone starts talking. I, I think the sort of general conclusion that people came to was they're going to do it for experimental reasons, exactly the same reason they did their um, Nexus devices. And so in one sense, it's not a major threat. It's really Google wants to learn about how this space works. Of course, they might make a decision to go bigger later on. But, uh, you know, it was the rumors about just specifically the new Nexus, which is probably going to be uh, made by Huawei, the Chinese company. Uh, and there was, you know, obviously talk about how it would be implemented in terms of you know, the Wi-Fi. Uh, yeah, there was nothing actually concrete. Um, Google, in some ways, has a, a low-key presence at MWC. It's obviously endemic to the conference because of Android, and there are Android pins and Android logos everywhere, but Google itself doesn't have a, a major stand. I, I, part of me wonders whether this is a sort of a try-before-you-buy, where they can tinker with being an MVNO, and then... Yeah, they're big enough that if they decided, well, you know, we'll just buy Sprint or we'll buy T-Mobile or, or something. Both of these are, are, are carriers who are sort of, well, not so much Sprint anymore, but but T-Mobile's definitely been shopped around a lot. So. Yeah, it's a possibility. I would actually expect uh, Google to get into the market somewhere other than the U.S. just because it's a, the U.S. is rather an oddball market in some ways. And so if it was going to experiment and be interesting, it might well look outside the U.S., but, yeah, of course, there's always a possibility they could make a, a play like that. I don't think it's in their particular interest to do so for the time being. Owning an operator would uh, sort of help with their core mission or their kind of their core business strategy. But uh, I, I'm going to be watching it with just as much interest as everybody else because it's uh, speculate. Okay, I wanted to ask a question. another question. Oh, sorry, Michael, if you follow up. No, 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 no go, go ahead. No, it was just simple, uh, slightly changed um, Every time I've seen product placement of Microsoft Phone, whatever that is, I Lumia, I guess it is, right? That's right. Whenever you see that on TV shows or whatever, it actually is. And I've heard a few people say, boy, that's a great phone. I guess it just doesn't have any apps. But, um, you know, I was curious whether you have any hands-on with those phones, whether you saw them and whether they did. Was Microsoft way? Yeah, Microsoft was there in a very big way. Um, I actually rather like Windows Phone devices. It's what I carry as my kind of personal daily driver. I mean, like everyone else, I kind of carry an Android device as well. Mm -hmm. I was uh, 
very impressed with the uh, the 640 and the 640XL, which are the two handsets they announced. Uh, they were also looking ahead to Windows 10, which will phone and desktop much closer together. And it's this idea of one Microsoft. But what was also, I think, fascinating about it was they also announced a keyboard. And you sort of go, why is that interesting? They had an Android, an iOS, and a Windows logo on it, this keyboard, because it was universal. And it really speaks to Microsoft's new strategy. They're both a software and now a hardware player looking to do it just within their own ecosystem. They're looking to be available on all platforms. The idea is, of course, it will be first and best on Windows, and they announced or rather previewed Office as a universe on both phones. And I think uh, the 640XL is one of those very unusual handsets that appeals both to the kind of the young market because it's good value and has that Office 360, but also will speak to enterprises as well because it's got that kind of Office and that tie into the Microsoft uh, platform and particularly the cloud services as well. And at the same time is going to $200, 200 euros. Uh, and you know that's a much easier proposition to sell in versus buying everyone an iPhone at six or $700. And I think we'll see uh, Microsoft with Windows 10 become very strong in the enterprise this year. They're still relatively small. They've improved their app situation remarkably in the last 12 months. There's always going to be uh, room for improvement. And as the third platform, any developer or you know, any service company I talk to, they're always developing Windows Phone as the third option. And it's going to be very hard to escape from that. But because they've now got to a scale where most of the major apps are there, Actually, for 90% of consumers, it's not a, not a problem. For the 10% that are power users, the ones that tend to write about and talk about smartphones, there's still this kind of idea there's a horrible app gap. For, for the average consumer, it really doesn't exist in the same way that it did you know, two years ago. Well, yeah, I think that uh, in the case of, say, Apple, um, there, are, there are still apps that come out that are iOS only, and then you know, people are loath to develop uh, Android, and Microsoft is way down on the list. But um, a lot of this is specialized stuff, like um, the thing, one of the things that comes to mind is that there's a lot of recording studio, a lot of audio, a lot of artistic on iOS that the people who develop it, and they're brilliant apps uh, from what I've seen, but nobody feels that there's a market enough in Android, and certainly Microsoft's totally off the... But you know, your average person who wasn't at... MWC and who doesn't even know what that is, uh, is using word processing and messaging and like five other things. And so in a way, the apps thing is, it's kind of a fake, uh, I, can't, I can't think of uh, how to express this, but it's kind of a false impression of how things are. How many, 30,000 apps or 100,000 apps? But I mean, what are they, you know, the fart app, the uh, you know, buzz when you, I mean, there's just so much superfluous stuff out there, you know. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, iOS and Android have now passed a million apps, but the reality is that most people, if you look at the surveys, only have about 15 apps, and they only actually use six regularly. And you know, by the time you've covered off things like Facebook and WhatsApp, for the average person, it's just a, it really is a handful of apps, and the attention is paid to it. And I think because a lot of the VC money does go into those kind of app startups, and it's seen as the way to address things, and that's becoming even more true with smart home and wearable. But the, the, the truth is people spend plenty of time doing other things with their phone. And so you, you look at those six apps, you pair it with the browser, and actually there's very little to choose between them. You just look at that functionality. Um, but th there is the, you know, it's a familiarity principle thing. People like Android and iOS. And a Windows Phone, I think, is probably unfairly down for the apps um, when it has advantages on its side. If you kind of look at the integration with, with Microsoft, you know, for some people, that's a, a critical factor. And I, I, so I guess this is, would be really attractive. Now, I don't know how 
uh, all in the different countries in the world. I mean, you're in the UK, right? So right. in the UK, how does enterprise, how does that work? Is it bring your own device or is it here's your, here's your Android phone or iPhone? How does that in general in the UK? In the UK, I think we're, we're quite similar to the US in that there's, it, it's very mixed still. Uh, you have to look at the specific sectors, and so things like banking or legal do tend, you know, financial still tends to be, uh, you know, company supplied devices. But there has been an increase in bring your own device. The number of people are doing that has has increased, and that you created a whole set of device management problems for companies. Right. Um, I think it also depends on whether it has line of business apps in terms of things like inventory or fleet management. Um, but it's certainly not uncommon for people to have two devices. And actually, the issue can be to work email onto your onto your personal device because people prefer to carry one. Um, but I, d I don't think the U UK is particularly unique. I mean, James may be able to, to offer some input as well. And I think he's actually in a position to speak now, James. Oops, <laughs> this is so this is so painful to see him look at look at. He, I'm going to show put him in full screen for the uh, recording. Just oh no, there's nothing. He doesn't even have any video. All right, sorry about that. Anybody else have any people on ZipDX? If anyone has any questions, uh, I saw Maxim earlier. He, I don't see him anymore, but uh, several people. Neil, uh, any of you guys have any questions who weren't there? Uh, I, have, I have plenty more. I have several different subjects I'd, I'd love, love to look at. Oh, there's, there's a James Mr. back Bode's with video. Back. James, say something quick. <laughs> oh, my, he can't get in. Poor James. Well, I'm trying to join you. I'm trying very hard. You're good. This, Go. this, is, good. this is going to be hilarious back at, on the recording. But uh, anyway, I'm glad I, I, we got Rafe in to, to fill in because it would have been a train wreck without Rafe. So thank you, Rafe. Agreed. So, Andy, okay. fill in yeah. the breach. Fill in the breach. Fill in the gap. Okay, so we talked about what's what's there now and what's new for this year. Of course, Qualcomm uh, will be will have been there, and undoubtedly uh, they will have had something on their stand. I, I don't know whether you uh, you managed to to look at what Qualcomm are offering, and we might see in here or maybe the year after. Yeah, uh, absolutely. They announced the Snapdragon 820, which is kind of the latest in their family of processors. Um, always difficult to pick out one thing, but one of my my favourite things that Qualcomm was showing off. Um, was their new fingerprint uh, technology. It's actually a result of a, an acquisition and much fingerprint sensor, but the difference is it's using ultrasonics. And that means that it's actually more capable and th theoretically more secure as well. But the really big deal is that it can scan through plastic and metal. So it means that uh, fingerprint sensors are going to have much less of a restriction on the design of the phones in the future. It's also cheaper, so we're likely to see it in a, a greater number. It's not quite so encumbered by some of the IP um, as has been the problem recently. So I think next year we'll actually see fingerprints on sensors on a lot more phones. Um, this time around S6, and actually they have uh, improved their kind of scroll uh, fingerprint sensor. It's now a, a touch one um, on, on the back, on the camera, next to the camera. Um, they were also showing off Euphoria technology. The one that particularly caught my attention um, was around being able to use the camera in combination with a kind of IR sensor to measure depth theoretically build up 3D models just using a phone and then view them in virtual reality. Uh, the, the other Qualcomm technology, which has actually started arriving, is Quick Charge 2, the ability to recharge your phone up to about 40% in just 30 minutes. That's in the uh, Samsung S6 as well as the HTC One M9. But under the new stuff, yes, the, the, the Snapdragon 820 and some of the imaging capabilities it has and uh, 
some of the um, the voice features as well in that are going to be once it starts getting sampled, it will be in next year's flagships. And as you say, looking at the silicon now always gives you a good clue for 12 months ahead. I find it. Yeah, sorry, can I dive in here because I got a bit of bandwidth for once. There were something else on the Qualcomm stand which is incredibly interesting, where the chipset supporting LTE U, the U being for unlicensed. Um, and what we're about to see are a whole raft of new um, small cell devices which um, use unlicensed bands, in particular the 5 gig, um, well, an, an extended 5 gig band tacked on the top end of, of the, the Wi-Fi band. What means is that um, networks will be able to unload um, users off onto, onto the small cells um, for really um, throughput when you're at home or in the office. So we're going to see a lot more of those and hopefully be very, very low cost. Uh, elsewhere in Eve, we had um, demonstrations of the Lime Microsystem software-defined radio module with which, um, in fact, that's the module that's being used in the Crikey's uh, <laughs> Who did I mute? James? I muted Rafe and James. Go, James. Yeah, well done. Go, James. No, no, I didn't mute you. I was kidding. Uh, uh, I'm still here, aren't I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah you got I think it. in the BTs, they're available for about £15 only. So that's £15 for, a, for an LTE base station radio module, which is unbelievable. So what, we, what that means is we're going to see lots and lots of them in the future, oh, and that'll change the way we operate at home. Uh, and Ray, I'm, I'm probably going to drop out about now, actually. I'm, okay, well, come back. Come back when you can. Rafe, I, I'll, had, to I'll, mute, I'll be back. I had to mute you uh, so that we didn't hear your whatever the phone call was. So you have to unmute yourself. I can't do it. But I want a question, uh, which was, did you see... Okay, so every cell phone, every phone, every smartphone now has a certain number of things. You can't buy one without Bluetooth that I know, one without a camera, really. Uh, the, you know, was there any hardware or new features? You know, NFC, uh, make the li it's a list of about 10 things that almost every phone, uh, some, of the, some of them have fingerprinting. Was there anything new, any new actual new technology that anybody showed that that's, like, was totally not in that list that we know? Ooh, that's, that's a great question. Um, I, I don't think so. I think most of it was incremental. I mean, uh, James has mentioned LTU, and actually the interesting thing there is what's from Nokia and Alcatel Lucent about getting that technology into their safety very quickly. So I think that's going to happen very quickly. But uh, what we do see are the incremental things. And so there's a whole bunch of companies showing off nano coatings. Uh, we've already seen those used to make phones waterproof, but now you can actually make them so basically you don't have to clean your screen. They're, they're sort of anti-fouling uh, nano coatings. So we'll see that sort of thing come in more and more. And it, it, you know, it's not anything dramatically new, but it does make a big difference to the, the way that sapphire glasses started to be used on the cameras uh, to protect the lenses. It just makes the phones a little bit more robust. Um, in, in terms of that materials, HTC are still doing their unibody metal devices, but they're now doing a double anodization process, and so they actually get two different colors of metal on their phones, and it's become jewelry, and actually that's something more generally across the phones. They're kind of using more and more advanced uh, construction techniques, but... Uh, uh, in terms of an interesting bit of technology, there were similists there who were actually showing off a programmable SIM. And as far as I'm aware, it was the first GSM phone not to have a SIM card slot mm. in it. And so that was kind of an interesting piece of technology. Obviously, 
various gatekeepers in the way of that going mainstream, but it was just a, a two millimeter chip that was basically representing the sim. And of course, for machine to machine, that makes perfect. Uh, I, I don't think you necessarily see that in the wild, but it was still something I thought was uh, very interesting. You have to wonder whether the, no one uh, will do retinal retina scan at some point rather than yeah, a fingerprint. I mean, uh, certainly, I mean, there, there were various kind of eye, eye tracking um, and uh, eye security things. They tend not to be the retina thing um, because that's harder to achieve with the front-facing camera. But there, there were a couple of companies attempting to differentiate their products by having eye unlock, which is mm. just which um, has to be said by day four MWC when everyone's looking a bit bloodshot. The demos stop working. Um, so you know, biometrics is actually uh, with the fingerprints and things, uh, iris recognition. We're going to see a lot more of that. And so if you were going to put one thing on what's going to be on next year's uh, handsets to answer your question. I think it's going to be biometrics in a way that on the high end it will be on the mid-tier. Of course, that's going to be driven by the rise in mobile payments. Right. Bye. And we we don't even want to necessarily get into I mean, maybe welcome to get into <laughs> it, but I think that is that uh, fascinating. On the other hand, uh, what about the wearables? Was there, was there much uh, accessories, you know, watches, but there are obviously other things maybe that are in the mix? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Apple announced their watch event just before MWC, which got everyone talking, of sure. course. Um, I'm just trying to remember. I think I counted 10 different smart watch launches and something in the order of 50 wearable launches at MWC, some of them from very small companies, some of them from quite big companies. Uh, for example, LG was showing off their Abain uh, smartwatch, one of the more attractive ones I've seen. Huawei announced their first Google uh, Gear device, their device. Um, with a round form factor, mm. uh, Pebble was showing off its smart watch strap. So that's a really interesting move. Um, it's actually making this, the strap itself where a pluggable accessory will help keep their devices current for a longer amount of time. Um, HTC announced the uh, Grip, which is a partnership with Under Armour, which is kind of the night fuel band. It's aimed at kind of uh, athletes rather than the occasional trackers. But yes, they're... Uh, you walk through any hall and you will see numerous wearables. We've always talked about how phones become commoditized and that continued. You know, the cheapest phone, I think, was uh, $20 uh, and that's a retail price, not just the uh, kind of wow. um, that, the market price. Apple's was exactly the same thing, you know, 100 plus companies showing off wearables. Uh, quite hard to differentiate, but a, a lot of them becoming more specialist. And it was really a continuation of last year, IFA and CES. Um, and, and some of them you frankly wonder uh, how they're going to sell in significant numbers because it's still dominated by the wellness category, the big guys like uh, uh, Jawbone or, or, or Fitbit. But the, the specialist ones do get interesting, particularly if we think about the enterprise sector around security and kind of the replacement for you know, smart cards or for, um, for badges. So yeah, absolutely, there was a lot there. I, I don't know if there's a particular area I'd like to focus Actually, um, I, I did have a question, and I can't remember the name of the Chinese company who specializes in uh, smartphones that can control uh, the stuff on your... Remind me who that... I think you know who I'm talking about. Uh, uh, I think you... Do you mean uh, Xiaomi? Yeah, right. So the, were they there in a big way, or not at all, or in between? Uh, they were. I mean, there's always speculation as to why. I would suggest it would be, be because if they bought their phones in to Spain, they would be impounded for IP violations uh -huh. and... Perhaps that's unfair. Um, I think they're still concentrating on the Chinese and the Asian markets. And MWC, despite being a global event, is still really Europe and sure. US focused. Uh, but they did announce a GoPro accessory equivalent for about $30. So 
obviously undercutting the GoPro pricing fairly significantly. Yeah. And they have their uh, wearable bands. Their, their My band retails at about $13, obviously a lot less than the $100 typically charged by some of the uh, the other players. Um, and so, you know, that, that Chinese disruption will happen as it has happened in smartphones. But do you, do you think that these, these people, because uh, when I heard about this, I thought, well, that's interesting. This is this one company who's, who's uh, what I heard, heard somebody talking about this, but it had to do with like, the fact that they pair they pair with air conditioners and all kinds of appliances that really don't need intelligence and you control your whole, you know, all of the things around you and that, yes, they're totally Chinese now, but that someday maybe they will uh, decide to go worldwide or be able to for some reason. Uh, seems to me to be a big idea for the future, though. Not just wearables, but the phone being a, a complete control center. After all, people are doing that now, but in a disparate, they're not controlling their whole house, they're controlling their lights or something, you know? Was there much of yeah, that? I, I don't think that's limited to just the Chinese companies. The idea of the smartphone as your kind of, your digital landscape and controlling the smart home was very much apparent. There's a, a US company called Peel, who has traditionally done kind of TV remote control via an IR blaster. It's a new version of their product, which is now able to control um, air conditioners, the Dyson Airblade, as well as things like the Philips Hue light bulbs, which are kind of smart Wi-Fi light bulb. Those companies were very much present. MWC, I think, probably less so than some of the other shows um, I've been to. Um, but yes, I mean, a absolutely. And the idea will be the, the control mechanism for them is now well established. The interesting part of that is, is there going to be a, a hardware hub for them? Um, or is it going to be all done through software on the phone? This issue, particularly with the smart home, is most people don't actually carry their phone around the home with them. They tend to put it down on a table somewhere. And so the, the kind of question becomes, does it then smartwatch? And they haven't got the, the market penetration to make it really viable yet. And so it's very much a developing space. Um, and of course, you know, where does the smartness line there? You, you referred to the kind of dumb, totally right, really to, to really have this stuff take off. You don't really want to be doing remote control. It's not that exciting being able to swap, switch your light bulbs on and off from your phone or put, you really want what's what's referred to as delegated decisions. And so it's you walk into the home and your light bulb switch on through geofencing or something like that, or it turns down the heating because you're going to be away for a week because it's looked in your calendar or, or things like that. And that delegated decision-making or agency of smartphones, uh, it does tie in with um, intelligence is very much where the kind of smart home thinking is for the next kind of five years. At the moment, there is still this fight to get as many connected devices as possible. And who, you know, Nest is doing the works with Nest System with Google. Uh, Samsung has smart things. Apple has HomeKit. And it, it, it's still, it's like the early days of um, technology. There's multiple people fighting to see who will be in control. And there is a big, big question, obviously, around trust and security, because especially in the home, people are going to have that, I think, at the forefront, very valuable data because they have to collect information about what people are doing, you know, in the privacy of their own home and start making interesting decisions. But to give you just a of that, um, Works with Nest is able to control your appliances and either turn them off or just turn down the heating. That gets really interesting when you apply that at scale because if you turn off before the end of a, a big football match, just for five minutes, it has no impact on them. When everyone gets up to turn on the kettle or make a cup of tea, and this is a bit of a British example, there's energy demand. But if you've turned off all the fridges five minutes before, you know, it flattens out the energy spike. And managing that kind of thing at the macro level is what the smart home will enable. And, of course, that's the idea of smart city and smart grids. 
And that's the sort of thing we're, we're talking about. But as I say, early days, and at the moment, you just sort of get wowed by the fact the light bulbs turn on when you walk in the door. Presuming, though, that the in, in, in this sort of situation, you're talking about the, the smartphone as a controller of another controller, which is actually doing all, everything else that's in. And in, in such terms, I, I'm, I know that uh, um, Microsoft with Windows 10 are producing it for the Raspberry Pi 2, and they're producing it Lee, and as a stated aim of getting people to develop for Windows for the Internet of Things. And exactly the same for uh, Ubuntu Core Snappy. They're, they're pushing um, and using, looking at the Raspberry Pi 2 and other such small factor boards as being the central controller that, that uh, everything else talks um, within the house. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, there is this idea of hardware hub, um, but there is, is this suggestion that it will also be software-based and everything, and it will just talk to each individual device. I, I don't think it's clear which solution will win, but you're, you're absolutely right. There are a whole bunch of uh, boards around, and SG Micro, Intel, announcing actually a partnership with ARM over an Internet of Things uh, platform. And Qualcomm actually also does things, and they tend to do things at the higher level. And you've also got the industrial application companies like Jasper doing things in that space. Um, yeah, it, it's difficult to predict. My personal feeling on this is that we will have a bunch of hardware hubs and they will be connected together with uh, Zigbee and various other radio technologies and some of it will be unlicensed stuff, some of it will be over Wi-Fi, there will be um, kind of cellular GSM and ultimately we'll probably have to have some kind of something, some software or service sitting in the cloud that ties all of this together. So I think there'll be hardware hubs kind of sitting on network and then there'll be a, a kind of a overall software control in the middle with the smartphone, smart watches, and other wearables or the, your smart TV acting control services uh, for all of this. Um, but yeah, early days, so it's kind of difficult to make <laughs> strong opportunities for everyone, more or less. I personally, for not having all these devices connected to the network, or at least the internet, uh, and, and not, maybe not on Wi-Fi either, but there's no current technology out there for red or something. But um, maybe it would be better if these things were wired somehow into the electrical system and that they were not uh, hackable from outside in any physically. You just couldn't. Uh, Michael has a question, but before, I just want to make another comment that was that, sure, the, um, there's a big movement to the smartphones being control hub, but there's, or the control of a lot of things in the home, then you get in your car, and my question would be, you think that the, is the car going to be the hub, or is your in the car going to be the hub? And I think the answer may lie in whether you are interested in Apple, Google, or whoever else is out there doing that. Uh, any impressions on that, though? Car yeah, well, well, cars, again, bigger MWC, everyone seemed to have one on their stand, and <laughs> I think the answer to that question depends on whether you're a car manufacturer or not. If you're a car manufacturer, you absolutely, the car is going to be the hub, um, everyone else believes it's going to be the phone that's the hub and the uh, car just becomes another source of data, data for that. And uh, what we're seeing with Technica CarPlay, which is the Apple solution, or Android Auto, which is Google, and also Mirrorlink, which is actually a car-based uh, uh, consortium, is basically replicating what's on the head unit, the screen on your dashboard. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing that's going to come first of all. That's for entertainment. What we will see, though, is separate to that kind of that, that for navigation for content will actually be the connected car in the sense of data coming out of the car engine and all the computers on board. And that will be that the car will sort of all of that and will feed that into the um, 
into the the smartphone and there will be apps that uh, it's telematics essentially and that's actually separate to the kind of uh, entertainment yeah, integration and so there's actually there's two facets to most connected cars I think at the moment most people spend their time talking about media and content and less about the telematics and I actually think they're interesting because that is the ability to see whether you're going to break down and preventative maintenance as well as you know all kinds of fleet tracking logistics in the enterprise space and you know, because the mandate is assumed to be included in every new car that's actually going to happen very quickly indeed that's that's really interesting uh, michael you had a question about 5g i think uh, go ahead and uh... yeah I, there's a lot of a lot of noise about 5g in fact even uh, over here national public radio has has been talking a little bit on their marketplace program to people introduced to the potential of 5G and they're starting to talk about metrics for performance expectations and stuff. But where are we really? And and because it seems still there's it's conceptually it's a marketing term, but is there a standard or is there a movement towards standardization or where are we? Oh, oh, there's there's absolutely standards out there, but it's very early days, and um, I'm not a, an expert on on this particular area. But it was notable one of those buzzwords that was coming up without there being a lot of substance to it. Uh, there are the announcements of various trial programs, for example, in Sweden and Japan to build the 5G networks and all the equipment providers, the likes of Ericsson and Nokia, are, are talking about it. And yes, it is it is relatively well standardized, but uh, probably need to get someone who's comment on, um, on how far along those are. Uh, the, the reason I find it curious is that the there was, a, there was some variable ITU standards for what constituted 4G, but they were somewhat hijacked by marketing, yeah. at least in the U.S., where all of a sudden HSPA was, HSPA Plus was a full standard, which kind of, it wasn't really, but... Yeah, 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 3.5G in the U.S. becoming 4G was one of the more interesting uh, marketing descriptions, shall we say. Uh, same thing is going to happen because there is less of a definitive boundary, but what I would say is most 5G networks are at least five years away and there's an awful lot of advancement still in LTE to come along. If you look at the LTE standards, there's a, a couple of revisions that have yet to make it into the public. It's far more interesting to talk about those and those will double or quadruple bandwidth um, and they're going to be absolutely necessary in the next 10 years. I mean, pretty much everyone agrees that mobile bandwidth is going to increase, whether you think it's eightfold or twentyfold, depends on your model. And actually, it's looking at LTE is probably at the moment more interesting future development thing worrying too much about 5g and actually then looking at network topography so james hinted at this earlier when he was talking about small cells the idea of kind of more intelligent networks heterogeneous networks made up of both large cells and small cells and the mixtures and the handover between different standards that to me is actually more interesting than getting too too obsessed about um, 5g but uh, perhaps james could could add to that now that yeah, now that I'm I'm stationary, not on the train. I'm standing outside the railway station, waiting for my lift. Um, yeah, an, another example of how technology is moving on uh, will be the introduction of more more devices that support the I hyphen W LAN. Um, now that's a three GPP, an industry standard, um, which uh, allows. The, the handsets to work over SLAN, a bit like the old UMA that used to be in the BlackBerry handsets. The difference is that these are, uh, IWLAN is really set up to optimize data and you can off, it'll automatically hand off from Wi-Fi to LTE and possibly to 3G 
whilst maintaining the same data session. That's something that wasn't possible. We does that by, if you want to really know, by uh, maintaining an, an IPSEC tunnel um, so that um, the the external IP address. So that's new, uh, IWLAN. Uh, Apple were the first people to bring out uh, an IWLAN um, capable phone, but all of the handset manufacturers are leaping um, in, a, in a frenzy to try and catch up with, uh, with Apple. Um, so the new Samsung S6 has got IWLAN, the Motorola, the new Motorola 6 has got it, the Sony Xperia Z3, I think. That, does that sound about right, Rafe? Uh, yes, it is. I mean, it, it's actually kind of now standard in Qualcomm uh, modems that they've now rebranded them as Snapdragon, I believe, to kind of be in, in line with their, their processors. And yeah. one of those standards that will actually just appear within the next uh, two years. And yes, the kind of that move towards fixed mobile convergence is very much on the cards and probably have a bigger impact on consumers than uh, the things that we're looking maybe further out. Okay, something I've picked up, which was a little bit annoying, a bit naughty. There's a hmm. nasty little mini. You can probably hear it. In fact, you can see it. Look, look at that. So there's a couple of <laughs> kids in a little mini being very noisy. Anyway, something that is a little I picked up. Uh, uh, a number of the major manufacturers now are uh, manufacturing a variant of um, LTEU. Oh, way noisy. Uh, LTEU <laughs> that that relies on uh, putting the signaling over licensed spectrum. So you've got licensed spectrum and the unlicensed spectrum, which kind of defeats the object, I think, because one of the main reasons why you want the, the unlicensed LTE is because uh, I have access to the licensed spectrum. So if you're trying to tie down them so that they're both linked together, it kind of is a bit silly. But that's just a, an attempt, I think, work operators to stop anybody who doesn't have... Uh, license spectrum from getting in on the act. Anyway, I'm burbling because I haven't any sleep for about kind of 20 hours. And Rafe, I have to say that you are remarkably lucid <laughs> uh, con considering that you, you've had almost as little sleep as me. But then again, uh, you were asleep on the plane. I was tempted to take a photograph of you, but I thought I'd better not. <laughs> I was very kind that you didn't because I'm sure I was drooling. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, you were, yeah, well, you were, you were, but you were, you were definitely doing a power nap on that plane, you know? Well, after about uh, 12 hours sleep in the last five days, um, I, I have to admit, I came back, had a mask, I can get through this. Well, we, really pre we really appreciate yeah. you, you uh, coming in uh, to uh, help us out here, Riff. Uh, let me just uh, make another call for those in, uh, on IRC or on uh, ZipDX. Or indeed anywhere, if you can, well, you'd have to type it in. Or even Carl. Where is Carl? Yeah, days? let's see. No, he's not with us. Someplace else. But anyway, if anybody has any questions, you type them in or you unmute yourself with a star six and shout it out. We'd love to hear from you. And there's there's uh, several people um, that we all know who are on, uh, for example, on ZipDX. So I'm just talk chattering so that they can kick the uh, star six. If he has any questions. Sounds like it would have been interesting but very tiring event, as you two gentlemen have uh, pretty much uh, shown us. Well, I have more of a slightly different subject that I, I wanted to touch on, okay. um, which is basically the cloud side of it. Um, various operators seem, seem to be uh, or putting things, various uh, what used to be device manufacturers, if you like, uh, various server-type device manufacturers are putting everything in the cloud in virtual 
Um, how much how much of that did you did you see around? I mean, is is that uh, the way that everybody's gone? Is it, are we now just in in the case uh, that's taking over from everything? Uh, mm, it's a good question. Uh, that was to me something that was kind of very big last year. And you see, it's kind of it's assumed that it's happening and it is being talked about, and there were various product announcements being made. Uh, I didn't spend a lot of time looking at that particular subject, but this thing should be, as you say, in the cloud or the more software-based networks is something that that is definitely apparent. And if you look at some of the equipment providers, there the service is becoming much more important compared to the traditional case where there was they were very hardware-driven. Uh, I don't know enough about operators to say if there's sort of marcation between the two, but it, it does tend to be the uh, kind of the emerging markets where the operators are having to grow more quickly, where those things are are more popular. Putting those kind of deploy existing networks in Western Europe or the States, I think is something that will take a little bit longer just because there is kind of more legacy infrastructure and there's a certain amount of technical. A lot of the time, these software and cloud services are sold as something brilliant and money-saving. And if you're doing a fresh install, absolutely they are. Um, but sometimes it's just easier to get the infrastructure you already have. Um, but it absolutely is the future. And you know, I think we see that from some of the open source, well, effectively, uh, networks that run on in places like South Africa, for example. And uh, I expect to see a lot more of that um, in the future. It, you know, it, it's really just a, a general trend from technology mobile specific. Yeah, I, I know that, that there are lots of uh, different different companies now that are looking at putting uh, things like data centers in, into uh, what are relatively um, re and require a huge amount of power and you go and drop them in the middle of nowhere and you, you suddenly you have uh, um, a usable network available to you. Um, what a difference in, in various places like in Africa and indeed in emergency and uh, uh, zones where there are problems. Yeah, I mean, I think the intelligence around having more equipment at the edge of the networks is something we're seeing more of. And as you say, in kind of disaster situations, that's where it's um, you know, it's, it's very helpful. Uh, but as these networks become um, expected to deal with greater variety of, of traffic and it's not just going to be about the calls and the data going over it with you know, the smart networks that would increasingly you know there will be 20 billion connected devices now no, not all of those will be over cellular obviously but um, they expect the traffic and what they're expected to do is changing and as a result there are changes in, in the infrastructure um, yeah, I, I don't want to go into sort of too much detail. <laughs> it's not a not an area I'm a specialist in, but it's there is an increasing divide at MWC between the kind of there's this company getting too big, and there's all these new areas. And say health is one that I was looking at this time round, and there are connected cars and the traditional handsets. But to make no mistake, the kind of line in the network side is still very much present. It just doesn't get the same attention because it's not as glamorous even though it has a bigger impact in the long term um, on our ability to be able to do things. Um, that, that's actually affected the way that I, I've managed to watch what goes on at MWC this week. I mean, I haven't been there. I've, I've been back in the UK. But uh, watching World Congress live TV, it's all about consumer stuff. It's rubbish, really. Yeah. And, and it's very frustrating, uh, equally being on the ground, because actually trying to find uh, bits of information has become increasingly difficult, and you're... You know, you go around and look for things, and um, you know things like the Matrix um, uh, on the and you know you actually have to do a bit of digging before you find out about it. 
uh, because the, the the focus and there's a much bigger consumer uh, media presence and you can read the show daily and sort of information there but then hunting down the right people uh, does does take a, a lot of time and uh, you know it's a lot yeah, it's a lot easier Rafe, if if you just go to dinner and sit next to and across the, the table from matthew isn't it it, it, it is. When you've got someone like James who can basically uh, get you fully briefed over a nice meal, that is by far the best way to do it. Unfortunately, uh, serendipitous connections uh, don't always happen. It doesn't just fall in, all, all fall into your lap. Um, but I did have a, a good time looking around the um, uh, kind of GSMity. And just to give you a, a flavor of some of the things that do go on, one of the demos was actually for an Internet of Things connected pheromone dispenser that farmers put it in in order to stop moths eating apples. And that just probably gives you a, 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 an example of the range of things that you'll see. Actually, there was some discussion um, in the, the comms mafia on, on uh, Group on Wire um, about that and about how the May was, has kind of lost their way somewhat. And I would hold out that they should look at the, the American National Association of Broadcasters event, which is a slightly larger scale, but seems to have maintained its focus as a trade event and not gone completely consumer uh, in its orientation. Yeah, you know, different people expect to get different things um, from the event, and actually, really, what's unique about it is have everyone in the mobile world in one place, and it's the meeting stuff that you don't see is actually the real point of MWC, and I think the GSMA, as an organization, has a particular political stance to maintain. Uh, and mobile as the arrogant in the way that it, it kind of subsumes other industries and believes it knows best in the way it should talk about things and show things off. Um, and, you know, automotive is a good actually. You're probably better off going to the Geneva car show to find out what's going on in a meaningful way rather than just the shiny tech demos. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. There's you can go and meet the right people, but trying to uh, you know get that signal to noise ratio right is 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 difficult. And I think the GSMA is struggling because, you know, it always used to be mobile had to prove its existence. And now there's an assumption that mobile is present everywhere. It's just, it, it just is. And it's the dominant form of technology. You know, there are 2 billion smartphones out there. We really don't understand what that scale really means at the moment um, because it, it touches on pretty much everything. Mm. This has really been fantastic. Uh, Rafe, really appreciate you being here because uh, James would have been able to probably say a lot of interesting things, but he dropped in and out. And that's uh, kind of a note to the fact that here this huge big deal about Mobile World Conference, but in a first world country. Um, and, and I have this France and we have terrific LTE, even in a small, relatively small city of Bordeaux. I have a really good LTE, depending on where I am. Uh, but when I'm on a train, you know, you're in the countryside, sometimes you got edge, sometimes you have a little bit of 3G, but mostly there's no connectivity of any kind. And this is a problem, uh, let's face it, uh, in, the, in the third world, it's a really, you know, a sketchy thing. In other words, you're, you you got no data and probably no phone, and yet they have no phone line. It's kind of a an interesting uh, dilemma that we have. That, that, that's right. I mean, it's why I always say when I'm asked about this, you have to follow the hybrid model. Don't expect to have this connectivity. I mean, the other solution is everyone moves to Finland, which has pretty much perfect network connectivity. But there's uh, good reasons for that. I mean, the UK has been stymied by G auction licenses, which took a lot of money out of the network infrastructure. Things should improve with 4G. But um, yeah, I mean, the GSMA is very proud of saying that 
more people have access to network signal than have access to electricity. Mm. But that doesn't mean there's not a lot of spots in between where it's not very good. And there's still, I think, a lot of work to do. And, you know, where I'm in, in rural East Sussex, there's only a single operator works and it's just a 2G signal. Um, here in London, it's actually pretty good. And I have 4G everywhere I go. But um, I'm aware of that issue. Uh, and I think actually more awareness of that would be good simply because most of the testing takes place in you know, this assumption of ubiquitous connectivity is becoming more fundamental to you know the way we expect to do things actually that becomes a very serious problem you will get this kind of urban rural divide and it's not exactly giving me nightmares but it does give me and I think also that we're going to see in the very near future that trains and planes well we already see it on planes wi-fi but uh, trains which are uh, you know, there's many more traffic on, tra- well, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong about that, but the point is when I take a train, uh, there is no chance to have uh, strong Wi-Fi, but I think the year or two or three, that is going to become a reality in most markets. You'll probably have to pay for it, but it will be there. So you'll have Wi-Fi rather than uh, rather than fee, but it'll exist and it'll be an option. It's already an option on planes. However, for the person who's out there, you know, farming or in the, on the tractor, it's going to be wireless. That is very hard to invest for the 20 people who care about it, right? Yeah, uh, and, and that's why, you know, we have so much government regulation in the UK around fibre and, uh, and that kind of broadband and equal well in the kind of obligations that the 4G licensees are expected to meet. There are some new technologies. I mean, Sigvox was displaying their MWC, and this is kind of a, a network that's designed for Internet of Things. Um, that's very interesting. It's worth checking out if you're kind of interested in that. It's very low bandwidth. It's just intended to send data back but and can actually achieve pretty good coverage with just a handful of base stations across the country. Um, but, I, yeah, I, I agree. It's, it is uh, an issue that the industry have to face. Let me just ask you to uh, finish up here, Rafe, while I'm trying to find my, here we go, uh, my, my music to take us out. Anything you'd like to announce? Are you speaking any place or is there any events or anything at all, websites, anything you would like to uh, tell people? Sure. Well, I, I guess I'll, on behalf of my employers, I'm uh, at Digitest LBI. I'm a mobile strategist there. It's a big uh, technology agency in London. Uh, if you're interested in what I have to say about mobile, also check onepodcast.com where do a, a weekly a podcast around mobile topics in general with uh, friends uh, Ben Smith and Ewan McLeod. And, um, I'd love to hear what people sort of download a couple of episodes and let me, let me know. There will be some MWC-related content in the next few weeks. We'll look for that. Again, thank you very much. Let me make sure that nobody else has any comments. By the way, Jim, uh, our friend Jim in IRC, who's been talking about BlackBerry and a lot of other things, uh, would like to also say that you did a great job, Rafe. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Anything else? Michael, Andy, James is no longer with us. No, nobody has anything. If not, we're going to launch. We're going to launch the uh, the outro music and thanking us. Okay, Rafe, come on back. Okay, I, I look forward to it. I will do. All right, great. And I'm going to look up your podcast and listen to it. it. Should be great. Thank you, everybody. Hey, that was the bleeding edge of the IP communications and VoIP community. We're at VUC.me on the web. Thanks to Sim, who can turn you as a developer into a telco. Our host at PBX is provided by OnSip.com. The site at VUC.me is on Bluehost.com. We use ZipDX.com for our wideband, full-featured edge. 
And our local rate dial-ins are from Voxbone.com. Every Friday, 12 noon Eastern Time, next week.